welcome back to Write Damn It with me, Zoe Richards, your host. This is the podcast for writers of all kinds who maybe get stuck with your writing. This podcast will help you get unstuck and help re-motivate you so that you get the writing done. Episode 81, and this is part two of the four-part series in putting yourself out there as an author. And in this one, we're talking about being on stage. Now, I'm not going to touch on anything to do with nerves and dealing with your nerves, because next week's session is all about how you handle your nerves. So this is about being on stage. And I've got tips for you here that are from personal experience. Remember from part one of this series, I started out being extremely nervous. I am somebody who is shy. I'm an introvert. Being natural on stage is something that came from practice. It wasn't something that I was natural at. And I think you'll find that pretty much everybody who is on stage for one thing or another, be that in front of a camera, in front of a live audience, in front of a microphone on a podcast, whatever it is, everyone would say the same to you. And that is that they too had to practice and get to a place where they were comfortable being on stage. So I'm going to use the term stage for literally all kinds of things here. So I am talking about being on a panel, being on stage on your own, which does sometimes happen where you do a presentation or a reading from your book, being on a podcast, being on radio. So literally anything and TV as well, I guess you could be on TV. So just keep this as being, you know, when I say the word stage, keep that in your mind as meaning that it's the range of types of stage that you might have. All right, let's start with something really simple. Your name. That might sound like an odd thing to start with, but you will not believe the number of times I have heard presentations and people forget to say their name. So practice saying your name. Hello, Zoe. Welcome to the panel. Hi, my name's Zoe Richards. So it's that kind of thing. And I know it might sound daft to say, hi, my name's Zoe Richards. Really nice to meet you all. But actually, it's really important. But secondly slow down when you say your name. If you want people to know who you are, say your name, but say it slow. And there's a belief that if you actually say, so let's say, for example, you're you're doing an evening session. So you say, good evening, everybody. Lovely to be here. My name is Zoe Richards. Now, what happens when you do that? You give people's ears the opportunity to attune to you saying your name. If you start off by just going, hi, I'm Zoe Richards, they're not going to necessarily tune in with you, particularly if you've got a strong accent or rather you've got an accent that is different from the area that you're at. So if, for example, uh, I mean, I don't have a strong Liverpool accent, but if I had a strong Liverpool accent like my husband used to have, like my dad used to have, then and I then went to somewhere like, I don't know, London, let's say, then it might be more difficult for people to pick up that Liverpool accent. So by saying, hi, good evening, it's lovely to be here and nice to see all of you. My name's Zoe Richards. It gives people that chance to attune to your name. Following on from your name is your book title. Now, you know your book title, so you're probably sitting there thinking, I don't need to practice saying my book title. Well, you'll be surprised at how many times they say the book title so fast that actually it's impossible to hear what they've said. So my novel is 
Garden of Her Heart. Now, I actually shorten that all the time to G-O-H-H, and I tend to refer to it to myself as Go. It's no good if I go on stage and I start talking about Go or G-O-H-H. People don't know what the book's called. You want people to hear the name of your book. So in the case of mine, I need to slow it down and say Garden of Her Heart. Now, the temptation is to say Garden of Her Heart. And do you notice how different that is versus Garden of Her Heart? You've got to say it in a way where people can pick up the name of your book because they might not buy your book today, but they might have really enjoyed your session and they want to remember to be able to buy your book in future. Now, linked to that, quite often on panels or or launch events or what have you, people have a copy or two of their novel on a table next to them and they'll pick it up. Now, when you pick up your novel, you'll start just by nature, you will start waving it around the room. But you need to do, oh, what was it called? Do you remember the generation game? Actually, some of you will be so young, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But, you you know, quiz games where they have a prize and they hold the object in front of the camera. That's the kind of thing you need to do. Hold it and hold it still, but then turn it so that it goes for the other half of the audience to be able to see it and hold it still. Don't wave the book back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. People will not be able to see what the title of the book is, what the design of the book cover is. So just think about what it's like for an audience member to be able to hear your name, hear the book title and see the book cover. And that takes us on nicely to pace. When we're nervous, and I'll talk more about nerves next week, but when we're nervous, we tend to speed up. So what I want you to practice doing is taking pauses and slowing yourself down. Now, it will feel really odd at first because you're so used to the pace that you talk at. Around Liverpool, we do talk fast naturally. And I know that that's the same in some other cities. Glasgow is perfect for a really fast accent, isn't it? And so if we're not careful, people find it hard to attune to what we're saying and to keep up with us because we're talking too fast. There's a chance at times I talk far too fast on my podcast. So what we have to do is practice pausing and practice slowing ourselves down. However slow it feels to us, it won't feel that slow to the audience. So allow yourself to slow down. The advantage as well of slowing down is that actually you don't need to say so much in the time that you've got. So then you don't need to panic about, will you be able to remember everything you want to say? Oh my goodness, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Oh no, no, I don't know what to say. Well, actually, if you slow down, you take up more of the time with the answer to a question. And that way, it means that you don't have quite so many questions to answer. Okay, so something else that's important for how your voice comes across as well as pace is phlegm. Yeah, okay, I'm getting down to that kind of level. Phlegm in your throat can make it that you start coughing on stage. And there's a really simple reason why you will have phlegm in your throat. And that's because you will have had a milky drink. 
Now, when I first did radio, and I were talking here about 1994 or 95, when we used to do the four-week radio licenses. So in order to get a license, you start off with a very short four-week license. And I would do bits on the radio during our four-week licenses. And one of the things I was trained was for at least half an hour before and preferably an hour before you go on the radio, you don't have any milky drinks at all. And that is milk in your tea, milk in your coffee, milk on your cereal, milk in your smoothie, no milk. Do you get it? Just no milk. (laughs) So if that means having a glass of water, have a glass of water. Now, the other thing, though, that I've noticed, and nobody's ever said this to me, but I've noticed, if you have sugary drinks, then that can get quite cloying in your mouth. So again, it's worth avoiding sugary drinks for half an hour beforehand. So I would say, if you can, stick to water before you go on stage, before you're speaking. Okay, let's move on then. If you're on a physical stage, so you you are visually present, practice using open hand gestures. So your temptation due to nerves will be perhaps to cross your arms or to stick your arms into your lap with very tight fists. And actually, that can make you look more nervous than you actually are. So practice using open hand gestures. Now, when we're talking open hand gestures, if you're holding a mic, remember to only use one hand. And all you need to do with that is just every now and again, open your hand out, move your hand and arm to the side slightly. And open basically means that you are expanding your hand motions. Now, that's not about gesticulating masses because then people's eyes just focus on your hands flying around all over the place. If you're not holding a mic, try and avoid massaging spiders. And what I mean by that is you've caught the spider in your hand, you've clasped your hands together, and now you're giving that spider a little massage. You can visualize it. I know you can. (laughs) So try and avoid massaging the spider and avoid having it where your hands are flying all over the place because you touched the blasted spider. (laughs) So now you're going to just practice having your hands move gently and slowly open and just get into the habit of practicing. What does that feel like so that when you're on stage, it looks natural? Okay, the next thing is choose the right outfit. Now that is going to be different for absolutely everybody. So I'm not going to sit here and say to you, you must wear this kind of outfit, you must wear that kind of outfit. What I am going to say is think about how you feel in some of your clothes. So I can get a bit of a muffin top. I don't want to be on stage where I feel as though because of the type of chair that they've given me, I'm slumped. And quite often, by the way, if you go to panels, quite often you'll see the chairs that people are given are ones where it kind of forces them into a slumped position. So I don't want to be slumped with a muffin top coming over the top of my jeans. So I'm looking at outfits that I'll wear for my launch and for other events where I won't feel really self-conscious about that muffin top. I'm slim, by the way, so it's not like I'm trying to describe something about myself where I've got a negative body image of me. It's just how I feel. And I don't want to feel bad on stage. I also like short skirts. I'm in my 60s. And yes, I still like short skirts. And you know, my legs are good enough. So I'm going to show my legs off, but not on stage. 
Now, that's not about me being prudish. That's not about me feeling that there's rights or wrongs or people over 60 shouldn't do that, whatever. It's about how I will feel on stage. So this is all about thinking about how you can feel about yourself on stage and you want to feel comfortable and confident. What I would, now this is just my personal opinion, what I would also add to this is people have put time and effort to come to the event that you're at. And I kind of feel as though I'd like to see that people have made a little bit of an effort. I've been to some events where, do you know what? It really looks like no effort was made at all. I made an effort. I made an effort to get dressed nicely. I made an effort to get on the train and get there. I made an effort with the money that I spent on the event. And the people on the panel didn't make an effort and couldn't be bothered to dress reasonably. As I say, that's my personal opinion. It's not saying that that's what you should be taking on board. But I do think there is something about thinking that, you know, those people sitting in front of you have made an effort. And wouldn't it be nice if they looked at you and thought you've made an effort too. So think about the clothes that you're going to wear. I've seen people who've worn outfits or jewellery that really fits with the novel's title. I've bought a gorgeous top, which I don't know whether it'll be too hot on the... It's 20th of June, my launch night, so it could be a really hot evening, but I hopefully will get to wear it. It's a Joe Brown's top that has got flowers embroidered all over it, and that I've chosen on purpose because the title of the book is Garden of Her Heart. And I've also got a piece of jewellery. So if you're coming to my launch event, ask to see the jewellery. All you'll see is a little dome, but inside the dome is something secret that is very pertinent to the story and to book two, actually, as it happens. All right, the next thing is smile. It's really important to smile. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this on the podcast, and you may not have done, but I use what's called a smile voice. Let me give you an example, except now, of course, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm trying to do the reverse of the smile voice. And because I'm trying to do the reverse of it, I just want to laugh. OK, let me see. Right. I've had to straighten my face. And what I'm telling you now is that you need to smile when you're on stage. Can you notice how different my voice is? Because I'm not smiling. But when I use my smile voice, my voice changes. So all you do is literally think a smile. Now, I haven't got a full on smile on my face. It's not a big grin. And in fact, if you were to look at me, you wouldn't think, what is that woman on with that huge smile she's got on her face? It's literally just thinking a smile. And by thinking a smile, it changes how your voice works. Right. The next thing I want to say is about your audience. So one of the things that said is that success isn't judged by your knowledge. Success is judged by the audience experience. Now, that's important because I think all too often you can find that you're in situations where you're trying to present some information, demonstrate what you know, and that could be demonstrating what you know about your book. But you know it's okay for you not to know your book as well as your audience knows your book because there will be times where you have an audience who have read your book literally just now. They've just finished it 
And you might not have read your book for three months, six months, a year or longer. So they may well know your book better than you. It's okay for you not to be the most knowledgeable person in the room because your success isn't judged on your knowledge. Your success is judged on the experience you give the audience. How do you do that? You connect with them. And you can connect with your audience literally right at the very start. I went to an event last year and it was absolutely teeming down. And the people who were best at doing that audience engagement were making comments about the weather to the audience. Oh my goodness, folks, it's brilliant that you came out. Did you all have to swim here? And things like that. There were different kinds of comments made. But the important bit here is that people used what was actually happening. Let's say there's a train strike on the night of your launch event and everybody still managed to get there. And you can make some comment. Oh, my word, folks, I am so impressed you've all got here despite there being a train strike. Thanks so much for the effort you've put in. And just by doing that little bit of connection, you straight away made the audience part of the event. They now feel like they're important to you because you've connected with them. So just have a play at those kind of things. When you go to events, listen to what is the way in which that author is working at connecting with us, the audience. One simple way of connecting, by the way, is to look at your audience. You'll be surprised at the number of authors. Maybe you won't be surprised. Maybe you've been one of those people where you've avoided looking at the audience because of your nerves. We'll get onto nerves next week, so don't worry about that one. So I want you to start looking at the audience, engage with them. You don't have to look at everybody. If there's somebody in the audience that is giving you nods, connect with them, smile at them. They are already engaged with you, but don't just only look at them. Look for other people to look at as well. What I try to do is I look to the left, I look to the right, I look to the front, I look to the back. And that way, I'm probably going to be connecting with most of the audience. And if there is a saying that if you look just above the heads of the audience, everybody feels that they're being looked at. I'm not sure that one's absolutely correct, but just look at your audience, connect with them, and then they feel as though they're part of it. Right, okay. If it's audio, so obviously when you're with an audience in front of you, you can see everybody there. If it's audio, so if it's on the radio, if it's on a podcast, something that I was advised way, way back when I first started doing the radio work was that I can actually just imagine I'm talking to one person. There's only one person listening to this podcast. Every time I'm recording it, I'm recording it for you. I'm not recording it for everybody. I'm recording it for you. And that's because that helps me to connect better with whoever's listening, because I'm not doing this thing of imagining 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, 1000 people listening. I'm imagining a single person. So when I'm imagining a single person, I'm having a conversation over a coffee with one person and I'm not speaking to the world. That helps massively. I didn't really think it would help when I was first told about that approach, but it really does help. Okay, let's go back to thinking about what it's like on stage. Now I want to tell you something about using a microphone before we go on to talking about panels. So with a microphone, 
Have you ever noticed how some people move the microphone and not their mouth? So they start gesticulating with their hand and the microphone is in that hand that they're gesticulating with. And so then, you know, the kind of thing. So I can't do that old fashioned joke thing where it it stops the radio from, uh, sorry, stops the microphone from working. But you get the context that the voice goes in and out, in and out. The other one that you've probably seen as well is where the person holds the microphone still, but moves their head. And again, their voice goes in and out. It's a bit like the Doppler effect, isn't it? Where the the sound starts loud and then goes quiet and then goes loud again and then goes quiet again. So what you want to do is keep your mouth and your microphone together. The simplest way when you're new to doing this is to very gently rest the microphone on your chin at the lower part of the chin, not up by the mouth. If you have your microphone too close to the mouth, it might make it pop and you don't want to have those pops. So instead, what you do is you just lower it down so the microphone is resting on, you know, that little kind of, well, I think most of us have got it, the slight dint that we have on our chin. That's where you want to rest the microphone. Now, that's just to get you into the habit that you're moving the microphone with your head. As you get more experienced at using a microphone, you can take it off your chin because your hand now will be used to moving with your mouth because you've rehearsed it enough. Right, on the pla- on the panel side of things, it's really important that you make sure that you have researched other panellists and the moderator or facilitator. You want to know the people that you're on the panel with because then when they're talking, you're not having to listen quite as intently because you already know the names of their books. You know what their books are about. You know whether or not they're a hugely successful author or a debut author. So do that research into the other panellists and you know most facilitators, most moderators are authors themselves. Use that knowledge to help you when you're on the panel because then you can connect with them as you're talking. If you get the chance as well, it's really good if you can have a conversation with the panellists before you go on on stage and before you're sitting there having your conversation. Now, also on the panel, it's okay to take the spotlight. I know a lot of people who are new to panels worry about overtaking time on the panel. You are there with the right to be there. So it's okay for you to take the spotlight. What I would say, though, is it's important that you also share the spotlight. So if you feel as though there's somebody who's perhaps not getting much chance to speak, it's all right for you to say, and what do you think, Debbie? I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts and pass it over to them, even though the facilitator might not have gone to them. Now, quite often what happens, you find that a lot of facilitators are not practised at facilitating facilitating panels. So they go down the line and they repeat exactly the same question to all four, five or six people on the panel. Avoid, if you can, answering with exactly the same as what other people have said. So don't start off by saying, oh yeah, I agree with Debbie and exactly what she said, and then just repeat it. There's no point doing that. Instead, if it gets to the point where everything has been said, you can say to the facilitator, do you know, I think everybody else has answered that. So why don't you fire the next question at me? 
practice saying that so that you get into the habit of it because what you don't want to be is the one that switches the audience off and makes them all yawn because they're hearing exactly the same thing that they've heard from all the other panellists and they're now a bit fed up. You definitely don't want that. Anyway, that's enough tips for today. I will leave you to it. Happy writing. May the words flow for you and I'll see you on the next episode.